This is a Federal News Network podcast. A few years back, Congress changed how the Small Business Administration would calculate whether a business qualified as small. It had been the average of three years of revenue. The new rule was five years. The question arose, when did the new calculus kick in? The question had real consequences for a company called Obsidian. We get details from Smith Pactor McWhorter procurement attorney Zach Prince. Zach, tell us about this case. All right. Thanks for having me, Tom. Good morning. This case, Obsidian Solutions Group, LLC, uh, concerned a small business, Obsidian, or at least at one point a small business, that in 2019 bid for a Department of Energy contract that was set aside for small businesses. The size standard was $20.5 million in average annual receipts. Obsidian self-certified as small at the time based on its five-year average, for which it was below the threshold. Department of Energy notified Obsidian. It was the apparently successful offerer, but DOE had requested confirmation from the Small Business Administration about Obsidian size status before awarding the contract. So in 2020, the SBA determined that Obsidian wasn't small. And that's because the SBA used a three-year average instead of a five-year average to measure Obsidian's receipts. And based on that determination, DOE did not award to Obsidian. Well, let me ask you this, though. When did the rule come into effect that switched it from the three-year average to the five-year average after Congress ordered this to happen? So that's the core of the dispute and really why this uh, this case was so interesting to me, because we've been following this in the government contracts bar very closely since late 2018. Congress passed at the end of 2018 a law called the Runway Extension Act. The point of this law was to increase the period by which a small business calculates its qualifications as small from three years to five years to allow businesses that would have graduated out of uh, small business programs to remain in for a longer period. But Congress only amended part of the Small Business Act. They amended Part C of the Small Business Act rather than Part A. The Small Business Administration, when they put out a rule in 2019 addressing this change in law, said about 50 times that, in their view, they're only bound by Part A of that rule, not by Part C. And so even though they said over and over, we are not required to do it, they said, we're still going to change from three to five years, but we're going to do it slowly over time. We're not going to do it retroactively to when the the law changed. Sure. And just Uh, briefly tell us what is in Part A, essentially. And what was in Part C, the part that actually did get changed legally? So Part A is assigning certain authorities to the Small Business Administration to establish size standards. Part C is broader. It looks at, it it says, unless specifically authorized by statute, no federal department or agency may prescribe size standards for categorizing small businesses unless they hit the following criteria. So I think... Most people who looked at this statute said, okay, Part A is specific to the Small Business Administration. Part C is applicable to everyone because it talks about no federal department or agency. It doesn't say except the Small Business Administration. And that's how most lawyers that I've spoken with had interpreted this when it came out was Part C was clearly a congressional intent to broadly apply this to every agency. Part A is a special subset of rules for the Small Business Administration. Right. So it sounds to me like the Small Business Administration was what they say, slow walking this because they just didn't feel like hurrying up with it. Well, that's what a lot of us thought. And the Small Business Administration has been very slow in implementing congressional directives in the National Defense Authorization Acts over the years. And they were slow with this one, too. 
And I sort of looked at the analysis of the agency in their rulemaking on this issue as pretty fundamentally weak. But I guess shows me because OHA, the Court of Federal Claims, and now the Federal Circuit all agreed with the SBA. Right. Zach Prince is a procurement attorney with Smith Pactor McWhorter. So they ruled out that smallness size and therefore energy canceled the contract with Obsidian. So Obsidian took them to court. That's right. They first challenged it in the Small Business Administration's Office of Hearing and Appeals or SBA's OHA, where they lost. They went to the Court of Federal Claims, arguing again that the SBA misinterpreted the statute, and they lost. And then they went to the circuit, which again found in favor of the Small Business Administration. Right. And SBA never went to Congress and said, you know, you really need to add this amendment or this change to Part A of the Small Business Act. Often in other areas, other domains of law, if Congress misses something, they go ahead and do like remedial legislation to fix the main legislation. That's not unheard of. But it sounds like SBA didn't really give a hoot on this and just kept with the old rule for a while. Well, Congress realized the issue after the fact, and there was an attempted piece of legislation in 2021 that didn't go anywhere. And then finally, at the very beginning of 2022, Congress acted to explicitly amend Section A to apply the Section C requirements to small business administration. That is, make it a full five years for every agency that puts out size standards. But the problem is Congress didn't apply it retroactively. In fact, that rule in 2022 only applies starting 2023. So it really didn't fix the problem. At least in Obsidian's case, right, if it happened before. By the way, is there formal rulemaking or has there been rulemaking that has gone into effect now making it five years across the board for everybody? There has. So that happens in effect as of January 6, 2020. So really, it's just a, a year that's lost for a bunch of companies that would have preferred to have a five-year period. But uh, that could be pretty significant for your business if you lost out on set-aside work during that period. Okay. So were there any more protests in that period? Or was this the kind of signature case for this? This has been the signature case. I've heard of other companies that had wanted to protest. There may have been one or two that didn't go to final decision, but this is the landmark case that we're going to be pointing to. It might not matter for very many companies at this point, but it does illustrate that Congress, when they're changing a law that directly impacts a regulatory agency, really ought to be talking to that regulatory agency before they put out the law. Yes, because the usual complaint is that agencies are too vigorous in the application of a law. And as we've seen in the case of the EPA, they get trimmed back from what they do in a regulatory sense. In this case, the agency did not move ahead with a new regulation. That seems unusual. It is. But to be fair to the agency here, the SBA has taken this position that Section A applies to the SBA, Section C doesn't for a very long time. And that was the point the Federal Circuit emphasized, whether that's legally relevant or not is a different question. But if Congress had just talked to the SBA, they would have known about this very quickly and they could have fixed this problem at the front end. Well, it's fixed now, I guess, going forward. But uh, in the meantime, <laughs> ask the agency first, I guess, before you ask Congress. Zach Prince is a procurement attorney with Smith Pactor McWhorter. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Tom. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Leadership Today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. 
Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in direct care. And and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know I'll take a look at it and see, see you know throw uh, send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story. Like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from from their last competition, and they're so committed, and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs and 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 I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a- the athletes of Special Olympics that. Uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. 
uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but, but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the at special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.